Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Prevail. C'est Geneva programme pro politico. Histoire, la sécurité nationale. Crimen organisado, dinero sucio. Global corruption. Tabro de pouls de démocratie. Et ahora, ATP. Et maintenant, comme ustedes, su anfitrion. I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show. The documentary filmmaker and my friend, Melissa Jo Peltier, is here to talk about her new film, The Game Is Up, Disillusioned Trump Voters Tell Their Stories. Great conversation we had with her about her career. Um, you know, she's been working in the business for a long time and, and you know, into the Trump years, decided to use her powers for, for good and made this fantastic movie, which uh, tells the story of various former Republicans or current Republicans and MAGA types who were deep into the Trump cult and then had moments of epiphany where they were like, wait a minute, what am I doing? And started being vocal about it, um, you know, and paid the price. So Joe Walsh uh, being the most prominent example, Joe Walsh, um, you know, big conservative Tea Party guy, friends with Jim Jordan, had a radio show, was basically a shock jock and was pro-Trump for a while and then realized that Trump was bad and lent his voice to uh, to being a never-Trump guy. So um, his story is really interesting and there's lots of people like him, I think, but, you know, maybe not not as many who had the courage to just sort of stand up for what they believed was right. So it's a really good movie. It's available on Amazon and elsewhere. I encourage you to watch it. Um, it was fun to talk to Melissa. We, um, you know, compared notes. I hadn't talked to her for a while. So we talked about all the stuff that's happening uh, in the world right now and where we're at mentally and everything else. So uh, really nice conversation. Stick around for that. If there's a theme this week to news, I think the theme is that the monsters are showing themselves. You know, people are taking sides now. Putin in Ukraine is doing, you know, he's upping the atrocities in this war. He's just basically bombing the shit out of residential areas. 
it's a campaign of terror. These are all war crimes. He's a, a terrorist, you know, and I think we need to stop looking at him as a head of state and look at him like a fucking, you know, homicidal, genocidal mobster, which is what he is and always has been. So um, I don't think we should extend him the courtesy of pretending that he's a head of state anymore. He's a fucking thug and he needs to be, you know, removed. And that's it because the war is not going to end until he's gone from power. Um, so we need to accelerate the process on that. What happened last week is that um, the Kerch Bridge, which is the long, the longest bridge in Europe, actually, between Crimea and Russia proper, Crimea being the territory of Ukraine that the Russians invaded, occupied, and quote-unquote annexed in 2014. Um, this was a bridge that they subsequently built that connected Russia and Crimea. And it's first of all, it's a way to get to and fro without having to get on a boat. And it's also a symbol of Russian control over that place. So the Ukrainians, at least we think it was the Ukrainians, blew it to smithereens. There's great images of it on online that you can look at. It's a wonderful thing. It's like bridge on the river Kwai. It's ba-boom, right? And Putin is humiliated by this. And he's just, you know, he's just launching missile strikes into residential areas now in Kiev and Kharkiv and in other places where people live. He's just trying to maximize damage. He is a terrorist. These are all war crimes and that's it. There's no, there's not even any pretense anymore about what he's doing. Nothing is um, justifiable at all. I mean, he's having trouble even to his own people trying to make sense of why he's doing what he's doing because none of the previously stated reasons work. So this guy's evil. And at this point, anybody that, that is still carrying water for him is a fucking monster. Okay. That means Tucker Carlson, you know, Tucker Carlson has been, has been a fluffer for dictators for some time. He's now, you know, I don't see how there's any pretense about what that guy is. Tulsi Gabbard on National Coming Out Day came out as no longer a Democrat. We know this already. Tulsi's been a chaos agent for a long time. She's also in this cult, which you can go read about and has been for, you know, basically her entire life. She's born into this cult. It's called, uh, I forget what it's called, the Church of Something Something. The guy's name is Butler, the guy that's in charge of this cult. And he's a real homophobic, creepy weirdo. And uh, again, you can go read about this online, but she came out now. Um, she's all in with the Tucker crew, the Fox News crew. These are all, you know, they're all traitors. Kanye West, you know, I feel a little bit bad about Kanye West only because my son, who's a big music guy, loves Kanye's music. But Kanye West, a bad actor, man. He's a bad guy. And, uh, you know, people within the industry have said that for some time. And we've sort of you know, laughed off his excesses and his gaffes and the horrible things he says for years now because he's mentally ill or whatever. But, you know, mental illness isn't an excuse. This guy is a, is a raging anti-Semite. He, he's, you know, he's saying bad things and people listen to this guy. And, you know, when you're that level of, of anti-Semite and you're tweeting about it and you're going on fucking Tucker Carlson's show with a White Lives Matter shirt spewing anti-Jewish lies. I mean, that's a real problem. And it doesn't matter how many albums you made 15 years ago that were okay. You know, that doesn't justify being a dick. Same with Roger Waters. I feel the pain because Roger Waters is out there, you know, carrying water for Putin. Whether he's doing it intentionally or whatever, he's still, he's still, you know, towing the Kremlin party line. It's really sad. I love Pink Floyd. I loved Roger Waters. Um... I don't understand how a guy who made a double album about fascism cannot understand who the fascists are, but, you know, here we are. And then there's Elon Musk, you know, who for a long time now has been clearly a chaos agent and pretty much a fraud, in my opinion. Um, the guy blew up his own company, basically, Tesla, uh, tanked the stock 
mostly by his own stupid bad behavior. Like all this motherfucker had to do was keep his mouth shut and stay out of the public eye and stop saying dumb shit on Twitter and elsewhere. But he couldn't stop himself. He couldn't help himself. And, you know, the Tesla stock started to plummet. And, uh, you know, I mean, come on. Then he'll go on Twitter and tweet about some new, you know, Dogecoin or this coin or whatever. And his fanboys will go boost the thing. So he's basically manipulating the markets by doing this shit. Of course, all this crypto crap is not regulated, so he can do whatever he wants. Now, um, you know, he was in the news about, uh, you know, spewing uh, pro-communist China talking points about Taiwan. And now he's saying, you know, once again, his big peace plan in Ukraine is, hey, just give the Russians what they want and we can have peace, which is the Putin party line. And the controversy now is that uh, Ian Bremmer, who's this sort of fancy uh, scholar and expert in Eurasian studies, said that he talked to Musk and Musk, Musk told him, hey, I talked to Putin before I put this tweet out. And Musk is now saying, no, 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 <laughs> but he's not even really denying it. So it seems like it, it, my read on it is that it's absolutely true. Um, you know, if he's talking to Putin before putting out tweets about uh, policy, this is illegal under U.S. law. And he needs to register under FARA, which is, the you know, you, if you're going to be an agent of a foreign power, you have to register with the government to do that. So if he's doing shit like that and not registered, that runs afoul of the law. And uh, any government contracts that we have with this motherfucker at SpaceX or elsewhere need to be terminated. He's clearly on Putin's side. He's not, you know, he's not one of the good guys. He's never been one of the good guys. And I suspect his whole thing is a bunch of fucking bullshit. But as I said, right now, uh, the traders are easy to spot. The monsters are showing themselves. And, you know, I've been saying this since 2016, 2017. This is a Manichaean struggle. You're either with us or you're against us. You're on the side of democracy or you're on the side of the fascists. And that's how it goes. So if you're on the side of the fascists, you're a fucking bad guy. And that's it. Um, I don't want to hear any excuses. I don't want to hear any more bullshit. These people are bad and they need to be shunned. And people need to realize who they are and who we're dealing with. Speaking of, one last thing before we get to Melissa. Ben Sass. Uh, the senator from Nebraska is retiring from the Senate to go. Uh, he's going to try to be the president at, at the University of Florida, even though the students there don't want him, which is fantastic. You know, I, I just want to say to Ben Sass, um, what a disappointment he is. This is a guy who is kind of one of these, um, you know, quote unquote, moderate Republicans. And he's he's Gen X. You know, he, he's he seems like deep down he knows what's going on. And there were moments, right, during the early Trump years when a senator like Ben Sass, who was in a safe red state, who had some political clout, could have joined forces with maybe a Mitt Romney or somebody like that, or just come out himself and said the stuff that Joe Walsh said, you know, that Melissa covers in the movie. And Ben Sass never had the courage to do that. He never had the courage to do that. And I felt like he was a guy who could have. He could have made a difference and he chose not to. And I don't know why he's retiring now. I don't know if he, he thinks he's going to lose or if his whoremasters have told him to leave or what, um, or if he's just had it. I don't know. Uh, but here's a guy who was in a position where he could have helped us in the country overcome this Trump thing. And, you know, remember, Trump killed a million Americans with the, the pandemic sabotage. So, you know, Ben Sass indirectly helped abet that. And he could have done something about it. And he didn't. So I think those students at the University of Florida were right to protest him coming there because who wants a fucking pathetic, 
cowardly, craven, horrible guy to run the the institution. It, it doesn't it doesn't say anything nice about the University of Florida. They would hire this loser, this coward, this poltroon to run their uh, their university. So good on the students there. Bad on Ben's ass. Ben's ass. Haha. It's like the it's like a Simpsons line. Somebody calling the uh, when Bart calls Mo. Hey, is is Ben's ass there? Where's Ben's ass? Well, Ben's ass is going to Florida, so you know, too bad, Ben. You, you had a you had a golden opportunity to not only do some good. You could have been president, man. You could have been the candidate, and instead, you can't even get the students at the University of Florida <laughs> to uh, to be okay with you going there. Fucking loser. Goodbye. All right. Wow, I talked way too long, um, but you know, there's a lot going on. The good news here is that it does make it easy to see who the bad guys are. And I think it's it's you know it's pretty obvious now who at least some of these bad guys are when maybe before we didn't know, right? Elon Musk is a bad actor, period. He just is. So you know, keep that in mind. And uh, as things move forward, it's going to be interesting to see what that that disgusting, duplicitous motherfucker does next. Anyway, we'll be right back with Melissa Joe Peltier. <laughs> all the money that I got Should I buy or should I not I'm a protector of free speech Living a life of Robin Leach With my space penis and my yacht Should I buy or should I not Manipulate an NFT Plug crappy cryptocurrency I caused the crash of Tesla stock Exploded! Like my cars! The SEC don't give a fuck Reals and rubles in the pot Should I buy or should I not? I don't know if I should buy Twitter People will know I'm a bullshitter I guess I'd be the highest bidder But if I fail then I'm a quitter Last time I blame it on a bot Should I buy or should I not? Melissa Joe Peltier, welcome to the Prevail Podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to see you. Um, how has your summer been before we get into anything else? What have you been up to? Uh, summer was busy. My husband and I went to uh, LA and we made a, a, a little horror short um, and we've been editing it and he's actually heading out to, to mix it right now. Uh, and then we came here to Cape Cod in September where we always come. And it's been beautiful here. Just incredible. And it's quiet and and the sun's out and it's just terrific. That this is the the end season, like late September, early October is the best time to be in any beach town in my in my experience. It's like uh, all the 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 summer crew is all gone and you get nice and space, but it's still warm enough that you can take walks on the beach and all that. So, Provincetown um, does they do like little uh, theme weeks now because they want to keep extending the season, um, and uh, they have like uh, women's week and they have. There's another thing coming up. 
Well, that Halloween here is like high holy days. Oh yeah, I mean, sure, sure. We have a good we have a good Halloween. I live in New Paltz, and we you know, which is a small town, but we still have pretty good Halloween. It's like yeah, it's so does Nyack actually. Nyack has yeah. a famous Halloween parade, which you know we're always torn missing it, but but I like to stay here. No, I I always do the the Halloween parade in in, in New Paltz. Either I'm marching in it or I'm watching it, or and we're mm -hmm. right in town, so we I mean we burn through candy. I mean it's an insane amount of trick or treaters. <laughs> Um, that's good. Now, we want to talk about your movie, which is called The Game is Up, Disillusioned Trump Voters Tell Their Stories. It's a fantastic movie. We're going to talk about it um, extensively throughout the interview. But before we get to that, uh, tell everybody a little bit about you. Uh, you're a filmmaker. Um, you know, how did you get to this point uh, in your career? Well, I started my career very young. Uh, and I got sort of thrown into the fire. Um, I had wanted to do dramatic writing and directing, and that was sort of my, my background and working with actors, and I had been acting for a while. And, but I, when I was in college, I got an internship that got me a job researching a documentary at KTLA. And I kind of really fell in love with the, um, the, the way you can tell stories in a documentary. Yeah. And I had an amazing mentor, a guy named Arnold Shapiro, if you remember Scared Straight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that he was my mentor. And he's still, I'm still super close to him. He lives in, he's retired now. He just retired maybe eight years ago or something. But uh, he lives up in, um, somewhere on the California coast. <laughs> yeah. But, no, um, Far away from me. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, it's Solvang, Solvang. He lives mm -hmm. in Solvang. But, um, but yeah, he was an incredible mentor and he really, uh, really, because when I was starting out uh, in the, you know, the mid eighties, um, I didn't realize when I started out quite how sexist Hollywood, Hollywood was. And he was not, he was somebody who hired women in high positions and moved them up. And he said, he basically said, women work harder. <laughs> they just, yeah. they work harder. And so he really had most of the people who were in his top positions were women. So I got, I got to move up pretty quickly with him. And then also in the uh, other job that I took um, working on a show, a local show at, for KCT, I got sort of just thrown into the associate producer position, which was basically doing everything, you know, from <laughs> writing the press releases to literally driving the, then the two inch tape to KCT, KCT driving across town, um, you know, to actually producing segments. And that's how I learned to edit tape. And um, so that was really a springboard. And then I was a freelancer and a pretty successful, busy one for a while. And then in 1996, I formed a company with two partners and we made, I don't know, like about three, 400 hours of, of nonfiction TV for any Discovery History Channel, um, uh, Learning Channel, um, but we, Lifetime, but Sci-Fi Channel, actually, we did a bunch for Sci-Fi. Okay. But, that company, and we did the Dog Whisperer. That was our big, right. our big hit, and um, that company sort of imploded in <laughs> about 2013. And then I, well, I was already, I had already moved east from LA because my, uh, I moved east to marry my husband, and I was writing books at the time because the Dog Whisperer we sprung off into other areas, and one of them was Caesar's book. And I was the ghost writer of all his books, the credited writer, ghost writer yeah. of all his books. And um, so I wrote six of his books. And um, then I also wrote a couple other 
co-author ancillary kind of nonfiction books with other people we were working with. And yeah, so when the company ended, um, I was already living here and I, I just, uh, I've been working mostly with my husband really since then. Um, but this film, I mean, I'd love to do more documentaries, obviously, but you have to fund them. Yeah. It's very difficult. Even with more markets, it's very difficult. And this one in particular, (laughs) I had no idea how I was going to fund it. And I was just saying to somebody uh, in the industry the other day, I've done every job. You know, I've been a PA, I've been a researcher, I've been, I've done sound. Uh, I've had to, when I was freelancing, sometimes I had to do my own lighting when I would fly out to, you know, pick up a crew because they were just a news crew and they never used lights before. And so I really learned to do everything in the business except raise money. And I just don't, I don't have it in me to ask for money. I can sell, but, but I can't do the, I can't close, you know, and and it's so annoying. It's really annoying. But uh, I had Mary Carey Craven working with me on this film. She was the producer and she's the one who really convinced me to do it, even though we didn't have, we didn't have the money on hand in the beginning. She said, you know, we'll raise it. We'll raise it. And we, we did raise maybe a quarter of it, a third of it. And then the rest I emptied out a, a money market account for, but because I, I just, we, there was no, there was no going back. There was no failure as an option on this. And we yep. wanted to get it out before uh, the 2020 election, but we were able to get two of the segments out before that. And we did a bunch of um, webinars with some of the people from the, um, the, the, uh, the show in like theme webinars and right. they were well attended. And so we had that. And then we finally finished the whole film at the end of um, probably around spring of 2021. Okay. And then we started doing the festival circuit, which we did very well in. Uh, all the festivals were accepted in, we, we did very well in. We were not accepted into a lot of festivals. And it was interesting because I've never gotten, you know, normally when you go, my husband and I are do the film festival thing all the time with our shorts. And normally you go, um, you get a letter that's basically, it's designed not to piss you off or not to make you feel bad. So okay. it's, it's, yeah. like, it's like it's like the PC rejection letter. It's like, hello, you know, this year we received an unprecedented amount of blah, blah, blah. And, you know, thank you for submitting your film. Unfortunately, we could not fit it in our, you know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. please don't stop making films. Keep going. It's interesting. It's like somebody's going to draw, you know, jump off a ledge if they get rejected. But um, you know, you get tons of those and they're all sort of on the same template. And I got a lot of personal, I would say, I don't know, between four and six, that's not a lot, but still some personal notes from people who are either on the judging committee or on the festival committee who said, you know, the judges loved your film, but the board said, no, it's too controversial. Mm. And I, I did send it into a lot of places um, in red states because I thought, well, at least, you know, I know I won't get selected, but I know at least the judges will have to watch it. Yeah, so. um, it's, it's smart. Um, the story that you have is, you know, you're working in the industry, you're doing all this stuff, and then Trump happens mm-hmm. and you're you're sort of. Sort of like the people that the, the subjects of the documentary, you have this epiphany and you're awakened to do what you've been doing. I've known you 
um on twitter and and we've met in person yes. uh for, yeah, for now for years night out. <laughs> uh right and and mm-hmm. only because of uh our our, our shared fight yeah. against all this shit yes. um so you know first of all I, I i would like to say you know knowing that you've gone through the trouble to make this movie and, and how good it is and important that it is um and how much you, you you've uh put on the line to make it first of all thank you because this is always a thankless fucking job you know th- these things it's it'd be so much easier always with this stuff if you're just like eh, somebody else will do it eh. exactly. so I, I really you know the, the, I'm, I'm nominally a novelist or i used to be i guess and the the number of people that i know who are novelists that just when this thing happened you just yep. fucking vanished what, what like, Darl Winslow? What, I mean, he, he completely shifted yeah. his whole career, and he's no, but he's the exception. I think most people were like, "Well, I have to do my art, man," and it's like, oh, boy, "What? Okay. What? What? What art? What are you talking about? The fucking world is on fire right now. This is like all he's you know about that exactly." I mean, that was for me, and you know, my husband, he's he he doesn't like to get that involved in it. I mean, he hears it from me, so he can't escape it. But um, <laughs> but you know, he prefers to make his films and write his you know, his books and write his scripts and, and not think about that because he says it's, it upsets me so much to think about it. But yeah. I'm like, yeah, I talked to a lot of people like that, but you know, what if everyone was just so upset, nothing happened. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's, that's the that's point. The thing. And that's I know so thing. many people who are like, well, I'm just really busy. I really have to focus on my work right now. And yeah, but there's always something you can do. And, and I think it's important to stay informed. And that's what annoys me is when people don't stay informed. Um, and don't really know. I mean, it's it's hard. It's hard to be not. I mean, we are in the weeds, obviously. Yeah. But you can, you can be somewhere between in the weeds and and you know, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, and there, there's a level of, of of information. Like we were, Allison Gill was on um, the Five Eight Show with with LB and I a, a couple months ago, yeah. and we were talking about who knows what and this and that. And she said most Americans don't even know who Roger Stone is, and she's right. You know, and to me, that's like such a such a remedial thing to know, but it's right. true. So, you know, these these films and and, um, you know, documentaries, articles, whatever they whatever medium media that people use to get the word out, I think are, are so important. But now your film is a film about epiphany, right? It's a it's a film about yeah. these people transformational, transformational yeah, film. In, yeah. in, in various forms who used to dig either Republican politics or Trump or whatever that that had a sort of epiphany and were like, what the fuck? Because I can't do this anymore. So right. I want to flip flip the script a little bit and ask you because you're somebody like I, you know, you're doing your job and then something made you get into the fight in a right. in a more active way. Was it something specific? What what prompted you initially to do this? Like talk about your journey from like 2016 onward to, to the start well, of making the film first of all i i rarely almost never did anything political publicly on social media because i i mean once in a while i would uh but it was not my primary mo- mostly i was you know trying to promote my work or my husband's work or i was you know tweeting about the man booker prize or you know just yeah. all these ordinary that was like a big week you know and i just didn't want to tweet any politics so i didn't want to get it I didn't want to have politics involved in my career at all but when this happened I was like you know no I mean my mom was extremely 
affected by World War II. She was a, um, a silent generation, so she was a girl during World War II, but her father was a, a uh, correspondent. Um, and he, when he came back, and I don't know the cir circumstances, but whatever happened, he gave her an account of the camps that, that she told me she lost sleep over. And she always raised me to, you know, to say, yes, it can happen here. Watch for this, watch for that. And so I think I've always been kind of on that, that, you know, I've had that frequency in the back of my mind somewhere. Um, and we've, you know, we sort of flirted with some of those things for a long time as a, as a country with oh, yeah. some of the fascist things and some of the, the non, you know, the oligarchic, uh, plethographic things that uh, we're doing that we see all over the place now. But, but I think, you know, first of all, when I always thought Trump would, could win yeah. because yeah. I have a lot of people in my family and my, you know, my circles who are, and my husband also, um, you know, basically Trump conservative Trump type people. And I had met Trump, you know, I, I had spent time with him um, because I made a film in, in um, 2000, 1999, 2000, which was um, on the Palm Beach season, you know, the, the social okay. season of Palm Beach. And it was just a, you know, it was for Annie and it was just sort of like, it was a very informative doc. I'm actually really pleased with it, but it was hell to make um, because Palm Beach doesn't like people talking about them and they thought it was going to be negative. And so they basically, I, they tried to, I almost got arrested in the lobby of the breakers wearing an evening gown. You know, my whole crew, they were all calling their family, preparing to spend the night in jail. But, and we had permission to be there, but you know, that it was a wonderful example of the rich had their own rules. Yeah. But we, we got a first amendment lawyer, but we had to shut down um, production for about three or four months. And one of the things that we could shoot was Donald Trump because Donald Trump was then very much against the establishment in Palm Beach. He had, uh, he was kind of like, almost like a good guy in this, you know, um, he, because he had opened his club Mar-a-Lago to anybody who could afford a hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, I think that that's, I mean, you know, that was considered being liberal. And so he had like a black basketball star in his club and in Palm Beach, there's still, uh, the, the clubs there, you know, they claim to all be integrated, but they're they're still really under the wasp, you know, no no one but wasps allowed. Yeah. Um, and so he was really a rebel there, and he was willing to take us around. And you know, I was at Mar-a-Lago several times, and I interviewed him, and I was he was very gracious, you know, because we had something he wanted, which was. The camera to be on TV. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I'll have to say he, was, he can be incredibly charming when he wants something. Of course, yeah. And um, I think that that's um, that is one of his qualities. But the other quality is ego and vanity. And he was the easiest person. I, and I, I've worked with actors a lot of you know, I've worked with a lot of people who have huge egos and need to be tiptoed around and need to be treated just so. And you just get used to that. Yeah. But I have never met anyone in my life and still haven't who was so susceptible to flattery as he was. I mean, right out of the box, I, I got him to say exactly what I wanted him to say, which is a little 
bit of a, it was ironic. He said, um, his line was, uh, you know, I, I only, um, I don't respect people who didn't earn their money. I don't respect people from the lucky firm club. <laughs> Which I know that he said that, but I wanted him to say, cause I knew it was an irony, but I had nothing against him or whatever. I mean, I, I thought he was, you know, I had heard about his, his businesses and his bankruptcies. And I'd heard about his mob connections, um, being in Hollywood and being, um, also, you know, back and forth to New York. And so when he ran for president, one of my first thoughts was, wow, that, you know, the last person to flatter this guy is going to get whatever they want, which of course, immediately Kim Jong-un and Putin and all those people, they immediately figured it out. Yeah. You know, I mean, he was not one of the smarter dictators, (laughs) dictator wannabe. (laughs) And and he, they, they wrapped him around their little fingers. And I think that's why you probably saw a lot of crazy stuff in the White House, because the last person who talked to him usually could convince him of something. And yeah. I've been around people like that before. And it's really frustrating because, you, you know, it, it, it means the people around him have to be jockeying for power between each other. And it's very chaotic way to, to run anything. And so that was my first thought. And then, of course, he came down the escalator and, and started, talking, uh, started talking about Mexicans and rapists. And it was like, oh, my, my God, he's going all the way. He's going full birther. Yeah. And I just really believed he could get elected. And I didn't like what I was seeing in, in the MAGA movement. And I just threw caution to the wind and I just said, you know, I have to start speaking out because if not now, when? Yeah. I could really see us losing our democracy and I can still see it. Um, And on my mother's side of the family, you know, we're from the Mayflower. And so it's like, you know, my family has been here since 1620. And I felt like, well, you know, maybe this was my time to try to do something. But it took a long time to figure out what to do besides, you know, tweeting and, and, and um, you know, writing op-ed kind of things, and um, and giving money. Yeah. And I wanted to do something that could use my, you know, thirty-year skill set. Right. And this came to mind early. I thought of this early because I was watching Joe Walsh in real time become, you know, woke. As Molly <laughs> Molly Duncan called him woke, Joe, Joe Walsh. He's I don't think he's woke, but but he. Um, you know, I never imagined I would be friends with Joe. Joe is a great person. He's just a very great, honest person. And and um, and I, I never knew that. I thought he was just the biggest jerk in the world. I thought he was, you know, just another screaming yeah. shock jock. So that was why it was, it was sort of amusing to watch him changing. And he changed very gradually. It took about a year. And it was him saying, you know, yeah, rah, rah, Trump, rah, rah, Trump. This is great. This is great. And then he'd say, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're trying to to punish uh, this company because they, whatever, they voted against you or they wouldn't do this. Wait a minute. You're you're trashing the FBI. And as he did the wait a minute, um, some of us, uh, you know, were sort of encouraging him, like, <laughs> keep <Yeah>. going. <laughs> you know? And that's sort of how I I got to know him. I didn't know him at all. And when I had this idea that I would look for other people like that. And I, I actually thought naively he would be like the canary in the coal mine. Like Republicans like him would suddenly go, wait a minute, this is awful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course <laughs> it, it didn't happen. It didn't happen at all. Everyone just jumped on board, which is really frustrating. Yeah. I'm laughing because I have the same, I have the same, there's so many moments I, I had that same, this is going to be the moment when, and it's like, yeah, there's, 
we're still waiting for the fucking moment. Like the, the, the he's he's stealing classified documents and probably selling them. And we're like, uh, I don't know. It, it it's really crazy. Um, Joe Joe Walsh is a uh, oh go ahead. John Oliver has that thing, you know, that button. We got him. Yeah, <laughs> we do not him. have him. Um, <laughs> Never. <laughs> Joe Walsh is a is the first uh, subject, pretty much in in the the film, and um, you know I follow Joe. He's great on Twitter and has been for for a long time, and I I respect the hell out of him for for calling it out and taking an, an, an enormous amount of 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 blowback and uh, well, you know as he says career. he lost death. his career basically. Yeah, he, he lost his career. He's getting a really lucrative radio stuff. show. Yeah, but I think that the way that he's been able to articulate I, I, to your point, how that the change takes place, but he's doing it out loud and saying it out loud and tweeting it mm -hmm. and whatever. I think they're all doing it or, or 75, 80% of Republicans are having the Joe Walsh thoughts inside their brain. They're just not doing anything about it. Um, so I give well, him a hell of a lot of credit. He told me that it. early on. I remember him saying, you know, I talked to guys that I was in Congress with and they all hate him. You know, they all feel the same way about him. But it doesn't matter if they feel that way and they're not acting on it. Yeah, it's it's well, we didn't like him. And that's great. Plenty of people didn't like Hitler either. You know, right. What difference does it make? People didn't yeah. like Mussolini. Mussolini and the trains um, ran out of time, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Et cetera. So, yeah. but it's, the, I, the, one of the for me the movie is fun because it's really like my Twitter page come to life because there's so <laughs> many <laughs> there's so many people either it, who are in it who you interview there the way that the film is is like what is it five sections so there's there's different people that you talk yeah, to yeah. that have right. these epiphanies it's that, that are, personal uh, stories and then a uh, story of three evangelicals in the last segment right right but then you also interview other people that are sort of appear throughout. Um, and those people too are like, oh, I know. Look, it's you know, it's it's Dr. Dina and and uh, John Schindler and you know um, uh, Stephen. How does he say his name? I've been saying it, Hassan. Hassan. It's Hassan, Hassan. Um, yeah. who's the cult, the you know the yeah. The, yeah. the cult activist guy, um, activist expert uh, expert. I should say, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The He's... programming um, expert and um, who else? Da David Weissman, who was interesting. And sometimes you see the people on Twitter and you see their little icon, and it's like, oh, they're actually talking. Wow. It's, uh, <laughs> and, and then even in the credits, you have the credits, you, yeah. you know, D Dirk doing the music, and and uh, right. yeah, it's it's cool. To yeah, watch no, that. I mean, well, what happened was, you know, I was on Twitter so much, and I got to know Mary Carey Craven through Twitter, and she was also a, an alum of the industry. And um, I had told her my idea, I don't know, probably in sometime in the beginning of 2019. And she said, we have to do this. We have to do this. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't raise the money. I don't know how to raise the money. Um, and every time I was like, I have to do this, something would happen. And I thought, you know, the white knight was going to happen. Mueller was going to happen. And the yeah. impeachment was going to happen. I mean, all these things were happening. And, and, and so I was like, well... But when the first impeachment failed, and I didn't expect it to succeed, but I also didn't expect to see the whole Republican Senate acting like a bunch of like bad boys at the back of class, you know, throwing spitballs. I mean, it was disgusting the way they acted. Yeah. And John Roberts sitting there like a potted plant, you know. Fuck that guy forever. Fuck him forever for that. What a disgrace. What a fucking disgrace. The whole thing was a disgrace. And, you know, I mean, there was just no dignity at all to it. It was like, you know, they're just saying, hey, you know, whatever you do, we're going to be behind him. It doesn't matter what he does. And that's really scary. 
And I I think in my heart, Ben, I knew that somewhere along the line, the unspoken had been spoken in the Republican Party that they were going to work against democracy. And I think around that time, there was a tweet by, um, is it Paul Gosser or was it Andy Biggs? It was one of those guys. One of the traders. Basically saying, yeah, basically saying democracy isn't the point. The point is uh, something. It was Mike Lee. Mike Lee. Mike Lee, thank you. And he just came out and said it. And like, hello, you know, that people should be, this should be a front page news. But of course it isn't. And, you know, media is a huge, huge part of the problem. But um, anyway, so when that happened, I just thought, you know what, if he gets reelected in 2020 and I don't make this film, I'll never live with myself. Yeah. And that's when I called Mary and said, how the hell are we going to do this? And we, we formed a pack and raised money through the pack. Uh, and um, that was our seed money. And we, we got us going anyway. And then we had some obstacles because a, a lot of the people, you know, I didn't know the people that I worked with in Hollywood, um, you know, I, I couldn't afford to pay them their rates. I couldn't, most of them are immersed in their work, you know, as we're talking about people who just, you know, they're just in their work. And so I sort of had to kind of cobble together a group and Mary knows a lot of people. She was great at at putting together a research team. None of them had done research for a documentary before. So I wrote a little like a a booklet, how to do it. And they were all volunteers, all of them. Mm -hmm. And they also helped with some transcribing and things like that. I mean, People just threw themselves into it. Um, Tony Serrata did. He was he was first. He was our technical director, and and I made him the um, a, a producer because he had done so much. I mean he he was he was setting up our from setting up our Slack channel, you know, to to um, <laughs> transferring video to showing up on the set and taking photos. I mean, he did so much for it, and he also lives in New York, so he yeah. was you know not far from me, which was helpful. To have somebody near because every everything was done virtually. But we started shooting in uh, January of 2021. Um, the Iowa caucuses happened, and we were able to get that footage uh, from um, a group called um, oh, I'm blanking on the name. But but then uh, I went to uh, New Hampshire with um, Joe for the New Hampshire. Wait, wait, you started in 2021 or 2020? 2020. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Important distinction. Very distinct, important. Well, I wanted to finish it by the the election. Right, right. And I wasn't able to, but mostly because we didn't have any money. We didn't have money to pay for online. We didn't, you know, we did our online uh, overseas at, you know, six minutes of of 4K film transferred to Prague Prague at a time because, you know, that was how we had to do it, that we could afford it. And... um, that was really disappointing when I realized that we were going to have it all finished. But in a way, I'm glad because we were able to to make a much better film. I think we did get uh, the Bacha segment and the Joe Walsh segment. Joe Walsh segment was right around the day of the election, I think. But um, Bacha was right before we got her out, and we had the these um, uh, like I said, these panels um, webinars. Right. And so that was how we got a little bit of noise out about it in the beginning um but yeah, i remember watching the botches thing when, when it when it released the first time this is yeah, right really good. yeah 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 um that was the first one finished mm-hmm. and because we, we were doing them in segments and i had different editors doing all of them and then ultimately um 
these editors had to go back to their jobs. So um, Marilith Ernst, who is a co-producer of the film also, and she's somebody I'd worked with in the past. Uh, she's out of Portland. And so she just basically became the, you know, compositing editor. She did everything and we worked and really finessed it over a period of time. We, you know, it was long, we got time, it's still long, but we got time out. Uh, you know, we worked on transitions and, and all sorts of things like that. And then uh, the animation. Yeah, we yeah, yeah. And that's also a Twitter guy, Chunk. I know, I know. <laughs> Chunk, does, Chunk does our animation on the 5.8. And he's- Oh, really? He's, oh. oh my God, he's so good. This guy's a isn't genius. He, and isn't he so fun to work with? Yeah, yeah. He, he's like, I, I can say, you know what? That's not what I had in mind. I, how about this? And he'd be like, oh, great. You know, <laughs> he's working with people who are just so precious about their ideas, but. Yeah, no, it, he's he's fantastic. And it, it, it's, uh, <laughs> he does great work. And it, it adds to the, you know, the, the the transitions in the film and having the animation it's just it's it's a really good effect i think i think you use it to great effect and, and um, you know we probably wouldn't have i probably wouldn't have thought of that if i wasn't stuck you know in the lockdown not able to shoot anything right yeah it, and it, also, also yeah it's also crazy um I, we're going to talk about the film itself in a minute sure. we have to take a quick break we'll be right back with melissa joe peltier Men cannot know the anguish of being ruled ineligible on anatomical grounds beyond one's control. Slaves can perhaps understand eunuchs, too, and perhaps even those doomed nobles like the deposed Emperor Romanos Diogenes, whose eyes have been put out. But not men. This podcast is brought to you by Empress, The Secret History of Anna Kay, the new book by Greg Oliar, now available on Amazon. If the truth is ever to be told, I am the only one left to tell it, and tell it I must. Okay, we're back with Melissa Jo Peltier. Um, we're talking about your movie. Again, it's called The Game Is Up. Disillusioned Trump voters tell their stories. It's available on Amazon. I encourage people to go buy it, go rent it, watch this thing. Um, it's, it's very good. The whole time I'm watching, I'm thinking, okay, this what's really fascinating about this is that all of this stuff was shot for the most part until the epilogue before the insurrection. Right. So, um, and I think one of the things that's so valuable about this film in particular is that it does document, because, you know, documentary, but it documents mm -hmm. this very specific moment in time when things get really fucking weird. Like yeah. the, the starting off in January, 2020, Two months after that, the entire world shuts down for a year and a half, two years. Right, exactly. So you have you have this horrible plague going on. You have all all of this uncertainty about that, and then you have late stage Trump uh, administration hijinks, which is almost like late stage syphilis in its badness and insanity. Oh my god! Well, yeah. I mean, when he fired, uh, you know, Millie, and, and when he restaff the whole dod and yeah, you know right after the bad. election i i knew i'm sure you did too i knew something was up we knew something was up but i i you know i they're, they're looking back at my own kind of history of this thing because again like you i'm i'm not a political like i write about i've written columns before about stuff but mm -hmm. i'm not a not like this you know i felt You've like written a book now about it I've, I've written <laughs> dirty rubles yes yeah uh, I had to. Again, like you, I was like, I got to get this out immediately. It needs to be out 
as right, soon as right. possible. And, uh, and that was I, that was Stephen Hassan with his book and Jen Murciasa with her book. They both yeah. did the same thing. How does she say her name, Jen? Uh, I think it's Murciasa. Okay, because I always just read it as Jen Merica. That's how I, my brain thinks of it. Which, well, yeah, because it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it isn't that, obviously, yeah. but uh, she's wonderful in, in the uh, in, in the film. Um, but you, you, you're watching it and you're thinking to yourself, these people had the epiphany before the insurrection. So they're really smart, you know, they're smarter than the other people. And you're wondering, post-insurrection, how many more people would have these similar epiphanies? But I, I watching it now, there's a point where Joe Walsh is talking about Hannity and Laura Ingram and uh, you know the Fox News talking heads. I think he says Rush, even though now, of course, Rush has gone to the yes, great the, yes. the great fiery pit below. Um, <laughs> and he says they're trying to foment unrest, and he's he's animated about it. He's like they're trying. Yeah. He, he's basically saying they're trying to cause a, an uprising. Oh yeah, and he's fucking right. It's exactly what they were trying to do, and they succeeded. They did cause. They did. These people did. They did radicalize these American citizens to the point where they marched on the fucking Capitol, which is crazy. So um, what were you thinking? I like having this whole movie in the back of your mind and uh, not even in the back of your mind in the front burner of your mind for so long, then you see this insurrection. Uh, What do you think at that point? Like what's going through your mind, I guess, at that point? Well, it's interesting because we actually had a cameraman on the ground there. Um, Okay. He was one of our editors and um, he also did some shooting for us. He started out as, a, as like a volunteer and um, is a filmmaker himself. Um, and he is, um, he was there with his little black box camera and shot the beginning of it. And we have a lot of footage, you know, where you see them gathering. Yeah. Um, and then he marched with them toward the Capitol and then his battery ran out and he decided things felt wrong to him and he decided he was just going to, we're like, get out of there, just get out of there. (laughs) It looked really bad already. And there were already people up there. I mean, you know, we know now that they had people positioned up there from the beginning, but um, I mean, he just, he didn't know what was happening, but he just walked along with them. So we have some footage that we got at ourselves at that moment. And of course we're watching it in real time. And then we're calling him and saying, get out of there. And uh, it was, um, it was just, it was, it was hard to believe. It was hard to believe. And now with what we know about it, how close they came to actually. Yeah. Like killing people. Yeah, they were. Yeah. I, I have my own theories about what the, what the overall objective is, but it seems clear that, that, Pelo, that you know, Pelosi was toast. I mean, for yeah. sure they were going to get her because she's speaker of the house and second in line to the presidency. If right. they kill Pence and kill Pelosi, the next person is, is uh, Grassley. Exactly. He's next in line. Already, he was already for it. I'm going to do what I'm told, like I've always done. You know, good job, Chuck Grassley. It's way to be. Um, He does what he's told, except for matters of grammar when tweeting out things. (laughs) Talk about a dotard, right? Um, So, let's go through. Like, tell me a little bit about. Let's talk about the movie itself a bit because you have these people. First of all, how did you find everybody? Obviously, Joe is is obvious. And and David Weissman is also a Twitter guy. Those are guys right. that I knew. How did you find the other people? Um, we let's see. I'm, I'm trying to remember if Mary found Chris Gibb or somebody. A connection we had in Ohio, I think, found him for us. 
Um, and uh, Dana, as in says Dana, she did the uh, pre-interview with him and, and oh, okay. she's actually from a farm family. So she and he spoke the same language and she did a fantastic pre-interview with him. And I'm like, yes, this guy. <laughs> he was great. Um, he was, he's really compelling, compelling character. He almost yes. looks like he's like walked out of Yellowstone or something to be in the, yeah. Oh yeah. And he's got a great voice too. I mean, yeah, I think he's totally. doing voiceovers, but, but um, he did a voice, voiceover, our little promo for our pack when we had our pack. But um, he actually, he's become a Democrat, believe it or not. I believe it. I mean, he seemed that way. It seemed almost he should have been the whole time. <laughs> or maybe he well, was and he didn't realize it. <laughs> well, I think I think he I know he believed the Democrats were different because he would say things that's not they're not in the film, but he would say things about Democrats that I think he thought that we were all more radical. He didn't realize what a big tent it was. Yeah. And and the news media does that, you know, they they highlight the most controversial people and the most extreme stuff. So you don't see that, you know, the majority of us are like you and me, you know, we don't want to defund the police. We don't want to, uh, you know, a socialist rev revolution. We just, yeah. we want, you know, some equity and people to not be treated like dirt. Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of simple, basic human decency. Yeah. But I don't think he had seen that before. And I think he I think he um, he realized that after he started working with some Democrats, along with um, like the Lincoln Project people. And so, it, yeah, he's really involved in this group, Blue Ohio, right now. And he has been trying to spread the message to rural America that, you know, that these policies and that especially that Trump was terrible for agriculture. It was disastrous for it. And, mm -hmm. you know. I hope it works in Ohio because he's got, I mean, there's a pretty important Senate race there now. And the guy that that's the Republican that's running is just awful. Just a, a clearly a charlatan in every way, just a complete bullshit artist, con man. Yes, he's so awful. And um and and Tim Ryan is so good. Yeah. yeah. And they're so close. It's like it's the same thing with Georgia. How can that be? I, I don't understand. Maybe the poll, the polling is bad. I mean, we I, we know this. The polling has sucked ass for the last bunch of elections, and yeah. and everyone's like, oh, I don't know. The polling is maybe the polling just sucks. Maybe we're not able to do it because I think people lie to pollsters. I know that Trump voters tend to do that. Um, yeah. I think that um, I don't know if Democrats do, but but um, I just don't think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think polling is just you know, I mean, and then you you're gonna have. Uh, lot you're going to have a youth vote, and you're going to have women come out. Oh, well, look at Kansas in great numbers. Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, they just have to tie everything back to that. You know, the the basic human rights stuff, like it, and uh, you know, Tim Ryan seems, you know, perfectly suited. So I, I wouldn't surprise me if it was close, but it also wouldn't surprise me if he won by ten points, and it was just both of these things were blowouts. Oh. I mean, the Herschel yeah. Walker thing looks. Looks like he's fumbled the ball, just to use a uh, an analogy that even he can get. But they're not, they're not, you know, nobody's denouncing him because I think, yeah. yeah. But also I think it shows you, first of all, that, you know, and you see this in our film, that evangelicals uh, will, will, you know, basically the end justifies the means. And, right. um, and that's also, I didn't realize this. I just, um, I just finished reading, oh, it was Craig Unger's book. Oh yeah. Um, uh, it was uh, about how Opus Dei has, like, in their their founders' book, they actually have an out clause for lying. 
I mean, they have it literally like spelled out, like, you know, if, if the truth is not as important as justice, basically, then yeah. their form of justice, which is a theocracy, you know, mm-hmm. get rid of the seculars <laughs> who are ruining everything. And, um, you know, if you have that out clause to your morality, you can lie all you want. And, yeah. and apparently even, <laughs> even non-Catholic, maybe, maybe pastors are preaching this too from the pulpit and we, we learned doing our evangelical segment that that's where a lot of it is coming from. It's coming from the pulpit. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically you're telling their, their flock who to vote for. You had, um, what his name is, Pat Conkey? Is that how he says his name? Yeah, Pat Conkey, yeah. Conkey, yeah. okay. And uh, he had some interesting things to say. He was talking about, um, you know, how Jesus is about anti-tribalism, ultimately. Right. And you know, that's basically the, the, the whole gist of Christianity and his view is, Hey, everybody, we're all in this together kind of thing. But that as currently constituted evangelical churches tend to be extremely tribal, meaning oh, they yeah. put their own little tribe above everybody else. Yes. Um, and I think that's very, you know, that's very dangerous when you live in a, a democracy like this, everybody has to, you know, basically put the democracy first and foremost, um, uh, you know, uh, and elevate it in terms of priority above these other little tribal groups. Well, so, they, they believe that religion is above everything. Yeah. You know, and, and that's why they, they would like to get rid of the second half of, or the first half of 1A? This is the second half. The first half of 1A, you know, yeah. the establishment clause. No, and, this is a, yeah, they want to they wanna just uh, eradicate the difference, the, the uh, barrier between church and state. You read anything our founders wrote, you know, from the Federalist Papers to letters between the founders, they always intended to have a secular government and then you have your religion on the side. You know, yeah, and yeah they, Washington went to church. Uh, Jefferson was more of a deist, but, um, you know, some of them were religious, some of them weren't. They all said, you know, thank glory to God, but everybody says that and they say it now, you know, God bless America. Yeah. And it's, it's, no matter what religion. it doesn't matter. Right. It's, 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 it's meaningless in a sense. It's just a, it's almost like a turn of phrase at this point. So, yeah, and the, yeah. it, you're going to have, if you're going to unite a disparate group, you know, nation of people like the United States is, um, you know, Constantine the Great in, in, in ancient Rome presided over this vast empire and he decided, all right, there's no way we can control all these people. We're going to make them believe all in the same God. And therefore, Christi- right. you know, Christianity is going to be the official religion of Rome. And the thinking was, everybody will believe in this in the entire empire, whether they are, you know, from the Germanic tribes or Bulgarians or whatever, they're all going to believe right. in this one thing, and that's going to unite everybody. So it was very much a political, calculated political move by him. Um, and you know, Diocletian, who was emperor 25 years before, was persecuting Christians and trying to kill them all. So yeah. in a very, very short period of time, it went from let's kill them to ah, actually, this is going to be the yeah. entire. So but yeah. when you have a situation, the United States is very much like Rome in that sense. It's it's a big country. There's lots of different people here. We're not going to unite under religion. We have to unite under something. And the thing to unite under is our democracy and the American dream, quote unquote. Right. And these people want yeah. to be like, now nah, let's take it back to Constantine. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. No, they want to re- unite not just religion, but also whiteness. Yeah. Well, you know, know. I mean, European ancestry. And um, that's just not going to happen. I mean, you know, wh- whatever you think of the 1619 project, I mean, our, co- our country, first of all, 
you know, indigenous people have been here forever, really, literally, like so much longer than we ever have. Um, you know, the Spanish came here early. Uh, we, you know, it, it was a big mess, <laughs> the whole country. And, you know, I, well, wasn't it, who was it? Was it John Adams who wrote the thing about, you know, we, we totally respect the Muslim religion? Somebody, one of them early on during the, like the Barbary Pirates thing. Oh, they Barbary had the Pirates was, was that Adam? That was Jefferson, I think. Jefferson, Pirates. was it him? Yeah, well, it might have been him. Yeah. I don't know who yeah. wrote the thing about it, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was, it basically, it was in a, a treaty with them. It says, mm -hmm. you know, we respect the, you know, the, the Muslim, Muslim, they called them then, uh, which I think is still the French word, isn't it? Musulman. Yeah. Yeah. Oui. <laughs> and, um, uh, and yeah, so it's just, it, it obviously just bringing it around, it's, it's not what was intended. And, you know, this crisis in democracy seems to be happening a lot. Yeah. And um, it's either, you know, you either have people desperate for democracy, like in, in Iran right now, they, they certainly don't want the mullahs running them anymore, whether they want democracy no. or not. Uh, yeah. And then on the other hand, you have these countries like Italy, you know, thinking that, oh, it's a good idea. You know, let's, the, the, our problem is the foreigners. Let's just get rid of them. And the problem isn't the foreigners. And, you know, you're never going to have an all white America. You're just not going to have it. it. There's never been one. Yeah. yeah. And, and so back the way it was, it never was. I mean, it was always a, a mixed bag in America, except different group out groups, you know, like the Irish were out, the Italians were out, now they're in. Mm -hmm. um, um, Jewish are out in, <laughs> you know, out for, for the far, you know, nationalists, in for the rest of us. Uh, other immigrants, you know, it's sort of like the, 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 the latest to come along usually become the, the, the state vote. Yeah. And this has been going on since the founding of this place. I mean, it's yeah, always yeah. been the nativists versus the, you know, the the immigrant. It's it, it's just something that the a constant cycle. Yeah, Catholics. there's there's some incredible political cartoons that that are just like merciless toward Catholics. It's like papism, you know. Yeah. And in Boston, where all the Catholics went, there was a huge uprising between the you know the the uh, original uh, Protestants. And the Catholics were coming in and they were, I mean, it was awful. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's, you're right. It's been going on since forever. And it's never been the fault of that one group ever. No. Now, you were talking about um, earlier in, in the discussion about like, you know, Mueller and this and that. I, I'm wondering where you are now in terms of hopefulness on the hopefulness index, because I feel like I'm still, I'm always going to be hopeful because I ultimately... I, I, I do have faith in people and I do I know for a fact that most people in this country don't want this fucking bullshit. They don't like stupidity, they don't like meanness, they don't like ineptitude, they don't like when shit doesn't work, they don't like not having experts do the things that experts should be doing and on and on it goes, right? Um but you know, it's I thought heading into this fight in 2016 early 2017 when i started writing about it i really thought wow when the republicans realized trump is mixed up with russia oh my god they're yeah. going to lose their minds and get rid of this guy exactly obviously i was wrong 
uh, because I naively thought that it was just Trump and not the whole fucking party that had been co-opted by these guys. Exactly, right? exactly, exactly. And then Mueller comes along and obviously, OK, Mueller's going to get him. We're going to Mueller's going to do this and Mueller's going to do that. And now the revisionist thing is to say that Mueller didn't do anything, which is not true. It's not I true mean, at all. No, Manafort no. and all these fuckers got convicted. Flynn, and if you actually Manafort, read the report, it doesn't reflect well on Trump at all. No. And no. they never exonerate him. In fact, they say there's a reason we didn't exonerate him. Hint, hint. Right. And it's it's not as it's not as blatant as we would have liked, whatever. But like that came and went. And it seems like, you know, there's news stories every once in a while, like, oh, my God, this there's a story in The New York Times, the Suzanne Craig story about his taxes and, and years of them just, you know, cheating on things to inflate value. And but finally, that. everybody in New York knew that. I mean, no bank in, in New York yeah. would touch them. Finally, it looks like he's going to pay some penalty for that now, like it took this long. But again, I I don't know. And it, it is all of this stuff now with the J6 commission and now with the FBI and, and this crazy flamenco dancing judge down in Florida that he has. <laughs> and uh, she's more flamenco dancer than judge, really. She oh has more, much more experience. I'm sure she's a... Uh, yeah, absolutely. A, I mean, she she was a, an inter, or intern or a... Um... Not necessarily intern, but she was like an assistant second, third chair or something on two cases. That's it. She never yeah. prosecuted a case ever. And Marco Rubio suggested her because he's a he's one of the worst traders that we have. He's a guy who, you know, is, is the ranking Republican on the intelligence, the Senate Intelligence Committee and knows better and continues to abet and aid and abet the enemy. So fuck that traitor. Um and, and, and then we have to be, oh, it's a special master. Oh, it's this guy, Deary. So it's once again, it's like some old conservative guy that's going to come in and save the day. And I, I just don't think any of these old conservative men are going to save the day. And yet something got to happen with this. With I mean, he can't just steal the fucking documents. It's such an obvious, there's no... And, and the silence from Merrick Garland is, I mean, yeah, okay, he's keeping the, um, obviously we know he's doing an investigation now. We know people have been dragged in. We know stuff has happened. Um, but, you know, people say, well, you know, it's, it's, it'd just be too upsetting if, if Trump got arrested. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> it would be upsetting to his subset of people and probably people would get hurt. There'd probably be some people who got hurt. But guess what? You know, the law is the law. Yeah. And, and to and, not do it is is just it, you might as well not have you might as well not have laws, you know. For exactly, not do it. exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you know, Trump has always felt that law didn't apply to him always. Yeah. And um, and he's proving himself right, which is horrible. Yeah. You know, like could, could he actually go down in history getting away with all this? Um, I don't think he's going to get away with it in terms of reputation. I don't know that he, that he I, I don't know that he'll ever spend a day in jail. I mean, first of all, he don't look so great. He doesn't look like he's like the peak of health. And I don't think he takes very good care of himself. I don't think that the golf he does, it's not like he's out there doing Pilates on the golf course here. Right. And no, he, he, the only exercise you really get in golf is walking. Yeah. And, and he doesn't walk. So. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, so, and, and, you know, Obviously, being the president is stressful and all of the shit that's happened to him on his watch must be stressful. But he's also not a normal person. So I don't think he I don't think he processes the stress of it in the way that you or I would. So I, I don't know. But well, he, projects. he just projects. That's how he gets rid of his stress. Yeah. You know? 
blames and he projects and he puts everything on other people. And, you know, he uses anger as a way to, mm-hmm. you know, raging. And, um, and so he never, I mean, you know, this is the guy who'll never, ever examine himself ever. No, well, he's incapable. He's incapable of it. Yeah, so, but I mean, hi- historically, we all know he's guilty. Even the Republicans know it, even if they won't say it out loud. I mean, I, there's a handful of them that are true believers. Unfortunately, Ginny Thomas is, is looks like she's one of the true believers, which is a real fucking problem. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, aside from the, the Paul Gosars of the world, and, and mm-hmm. I don't even know that Jim Jordan really believes all this shit, I, 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 you know, deep down. Um, yeah, you know, Joe's told me about Jim. He said he and Jim were really tight when they were Tea Party guys. Um, you know, Jim was from Ohio and Joe was from Illinois and they had a mm-hmm. lot in common. And he says he doesn't recognize him anymore. Interesting. Um, but we do know that, you know, when he was a, a wrestling coach, he was happy to look the other way, uh, you know, not get his boss fired and, you know, allow students that he was responsible for to be molested, like right under his nose and look the other way. And that that's not a good character uh, recommendation. No. Actually, if you're a Republican, that's that that brings you higher on the list. That moves you up the list. It's actually, it, it's a BFOQ, as we say in HR, which is bona fide occupational qualification. You have oh. to be able to just look the other way. You know, B- yeah. BFOQ is like okay, if you're going to play in the NFL, you have to be good at football. Like you have you can't you know. No. Oh yeah 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 yeah. That's that, interesting. That, yeah BFOQ. BFOQ. Um, it, it, it's a thing. So. Um, but where are you on the hope scale? How do you, I, I resigned, hopeful, just like, fuck it. Like, are you trying to well, move to I Ireland? Back and forth. I haven't been really positive for a while, I think. Um, I just, you know, I mean, I have no idea which way that the midterms are going to go. I think we have a, a good shot at the Senate. Mm-hmm. I don't know about the House because I hear conflicting things. I hear from so many people, no, no, there's no way. This just mathematically with gerrymandering, there's no way. And then, you know, I hear other people, well, you know, if we flip this one and this one. So I don't know. I just don't know. Um, I think I think that will have that will play into it. Because if by some miracle we are able to keep Congress and I I hope people will go out and vote and do it. I think that we uh, Biden will be able to do a lot more things that he hasn't been able to do. And I also think that that would maybe even embolden Garland a little bit to be you know, a little more daring because the voice of the people would have spoken, but, you know, gerrymandering and voter suppression are, are, and that, that's really disappointed me that the Democrats kind of just gave up on that. Yeah. Cause that's everything. That's the troll. It was everything. The exactly. Nothing that's happens the without first that. Thing. Yeah. And, yeah. And we can, you know, once, if we do get Congress, we can do that, but, you know, since we can't do it, it's just, it's, you know, it's like a, a vicious cycle. I know it's it's so frustrating. You start to think about it. You're like, if only the Senate, but the Senate is what the Senate is. It's it's yeah. like you're you're stuck. And maybe you know what I'm hoping is that the the explosion of Trump criminality will uh, almost politically force people to make some changes, e- even if we don't have the full you know thing. Um, but you know, I don't know why I think that wishful thinking. I suppose because well, if we've seen nothing else from these Republicans, is that they're you know. They're, they're just amoral and they'll do whatever the fuck they are told to do by their disgusting, immoral uh, leaders. And that, and they have no, no they ability really, to. They really don't care about democracy or rule of law or anything. They care only about 
their power and getting money to their donors so they can stay in power. Yeah, that's basically it. And And then that's not a party platform, you know? No, no. the party platform is that they want us all to die, um, which is also, you know, I I say that and I'm not being facetious about it. No, I don't think so either. Their policy is on any issue is how can it, whatever will cause the most suffering and death, that's what the Republicans want. Absolutely. um, Up and down the line, so, you know. You, but hey, you know, but you know, they've got red hats, so I suppose we should vote for them anyway, right? I don't know. It's really bizarre. I don't know. I just don't know how some of these people live with it with themselves. Um, and I I do know, and that was actually why I made this film because I, I kept thinking there's gotta be people out there who are in MAGA circles who are going to rallies, but who go home with a lump in their stomach, you know, like yeah, and that I thought, you know if they could see people changing their mind and why maybe they would allow themselves, you know, permission to change their mind. Um, but you know, you have to give, it, it takes courage for people. The worst thing in the world is to be excluded from your group. I mean, shunning goes back yep. to the, the oldest religions as the ultimate punishment because you know, you're humiliated and your, your family doesn't talk to you. And, and that is um, also in cults. You know, apostates mm-hmm. always get more abuse than people who just weren't in the cult. Right, of course. Uh, yeah. Always. I mean, they are harassed for the rest of their lives often. I mean, look at Scientology. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is what happens, I mean, what happened to David Weitzman. It's what happened to, to uh, Joe. Yep. Um, you know, when once you're an apostate to the cult, you have to be destroyed because you've seen inside. And... You also are a threat to the people in the cult because they knew you. Yeah. So it's a big threat. And and when people leave and when people say, you know what, I just can't support them anymore, they're going to lose friends. They're going to lose Facebook friends. They're going to lose uh, our two of our um, evangelicals had to leave their church. They did leave their church. Yeah. They left their church after January 6th because, um, because the uh, pastor was preaching that the election was stolen and that January 6th was, was good. And they were like, no, we, we just can't do this. Yeah. And uh, and that, you know, that was huge for them to leave their church. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think, um, I don't know. I just don't know how it's going to play out. <laughs> I just I just hope there's more people out there with consciences. But the problem is, it's not even about conscience because, you know, as Steve Hassan says, you know, in a cult, there's your two identities, your before identity. And your cult identity and your cult identity doesn't have any of the the guardrails mm-hmm. they have new guardrails the ones that the cult put on you and they're not real and you know like it, i always say if you want to talk to a maga ask them questions just ask questions don't be emotional just keep asking questions till you get to the bottom of the talking points because eventually they run out and the talking points work like cultic uh thought stopping techniques you know, that chanting or whatever, mm-hmm. talking, Republican talking point it works for the congressman too. They know they can just go back to the page, back to the page, back to the talking point. But when you ask questions, which our media doesn't do, and you continue, they always hit the bottom. They hit the bottom of their talking point. And then they either get mad or they what about, <laughs> yeah. or they just leave. <laughs> yeah. And, but even my theory is that some of those people, if you do that enough, tax's going to start. You know, the, the cognitive dissonance is going to really start to feel uncomfortable. And 
but you can just let those questions in, you know, let the, let those doubts in. Sometimes that's enough to start a process. I mean, that look, look, look at Joe. Yeah. Yeah. And penetrating the bubble is important too. Like any way to penetrate the bubble. I also think to the point about, to, to, an, you know, to get to an optimistic point here to, uh, as we, as we wind down that the shit about Trump, like, you know, your film looks at people before the insurrection. After the insurrection, they have the insurrection to look at and be like, holy shit. Now we're at the point where he's got these stolen documents. That's bad. More shit's going to come out because of that. More stuff's going to come out because of J6. It's going to be harder and harder objectively to defend this fucking guy. And I think, uh, I think that I think that if it comes out who he sold these documents to or who he gave these documents to, you know, world powers wise. Yeah, I think if that comes out, and I think that I have a feeling that they know. I them. have a feeling that they know, and it, it rhymes with Dowdy Farabia. But what do I know? You know, um, I'm I'm going. Yeah. I'm guessing this because the the Saudis were at his fucking golf course two weeks before the the, you know, they went and got the documents when they when Garland apparently was like, oh fuck, we have to act right now. This is real yeah. national security stuff. So. Yeah, and, I'm, and I'm not just and saying it the, to say it. The two billion, the two billion did, you know, was kind of interesting that that investment in Jared oh Kushner. God, that guy. And uh, uh, you <laughs> know, so yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I'm, I don't. He might have also sold them to other people. I mean, you know, he's supposedly still, still in touch with Kim Jong Un. <laughs> they still you know, it's just, whatever. Just, he just might as well put them on eBay. He's just selling them to the highest bidder. He has got no qualm about anything. Um, <laughs> one thing that just. Uh, crossed my mind when you were talking about the courage that people have and the shunning and all of that. What what Joe did and what Bacha did and and the people in the movie they were very public about coming out against Trump. Um, it's not really totally necessary for people to repudiate him and be public about it. Quiet quitting also works, and the way that you quiet quit is to just nod and go along and then vote blue and at, at the vote blue or don't go or don't go just yeah <laughs> you know, yeah um uh yeah write in, exactly. some, write in your your pastor or something because it, it yeah you, you can do it that way too and it'll have the same you know it won't be as as, as dramatic but it will have the same effect and it will add up um it was really interesting i just saw on my i got an absentee ballot from for the state of new york i don't know if i can send it right in can i hmm. Oh, I know. Anyway, um, because I'm in Massachusetts and I want to be here during the election. Um, and uh, I was looking at it and, you know, they have like the, the um, you know, one LaRouche candidate. And they have the, um, the recommendations <laughs> for the Working People's Party and Working Families Party. And then they have a recommendation for Republicans, Democrats, and then they have one for conservatives. And I thought, well, is there's a different party in New York? Yeah. Yeah, there's been no, there's been that. It's it's usually the same. It's always the same guy, you know. Well, they had the same guys except the judges. The judges they had all the same ones that the Democrats are going for. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's very good. But I thought that was really interesting. Um, It it must mean that the Republican judges are really bad. But uh, the reason you know is because they're Republican judges. That's that's the first (laughs) hint. do they do they dance flamenco is really the question and if if <laughs> i just can't with this woman um <laughs> no i and i can't believe he was allowed to how who's allowed to judge shop you know none of it makes it the the the, the, <laughs> the preposterousness of it sometimes i have to stop and marvel at the utter absurdity of it all 
that we have that Jared Kushner and Maggie Haberman are on this almost eternal book tour mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. while the entire country is in flames behind them. And they seem both of them completely oblivious to this fact. And then there is a non-zero chance that important documents are buried with Ivana Trump's remains. At the, like people, we really joke about that. it. You believe like, the coffin theory? I don't. But if it turns out to be true, would I be surprised? No. No, exactly. I've been the pallbearer at funerals. Coffins are, coffins are heavy. Okay, they yeah. just are. Those guys yeah. lifting the coffin down that very narrow stairs. I don't know who those guys were, but you know, you don't want to, if you're at a funeral and you're bringing that thing down, the, the last thing you want to do ever, anywhere, is drop the but coffin. But there was no bonding there, was there? I thought she was cremated. It doesn't matter. You don't want to, you don't want to risk it. And I don't know. I don't know. The, 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 does the coffin then go to the crematorium? Because I think that it, it, oh, it, yeah, it does. That's, that's it gets melted down and, and then put into the thing. So I don't buy that necessarily. Like I've lifted a coffin. Coffins are heavy. They just are very heavy. You know. And, um, you know, even if there's six, that's why you have six people lifting it because it's heavy. Exactly. But it's crazy that this would happen. It's insane that it's even a possibility that this would happen. That's what and I mean. It's like the fact that how I mean how his, his her children would allow her their dad to bury her on a frigging golf course for a tax break. Three tax I mean, breaks, but yes, yes. <laughs> three tax breaks. That's what I heard. I don't know. Well, <laughs> one for each I, kid. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, they're my kids. These are these are as Molly John Fast would say, the large adult children. <laughs> they're large. They're large adults. Large adult children. <laughs> they want to defend the Trump. The Trump large adult children in one breath, and and impugn Hunter Biden in another breath. Oh yeah, which is it's just funny. Um, and Hunter Biden is is not in the White House, so I'm, he's I'm not in the White. He's not anything. And what are they going to do if they charge him for this thing? Fine. Nope, none of the Democrats give a shit. I know. It would, be suck, I know. It would exactly. suck for Joe. I would feel bad. He'd be sad for Joe, and I'm sure he'd be sad for his son. But Joe is a very pragmatic guy, too. Yeah. You know, and, and he's seen his, his son go through some really bad stuff. And it's like, okay, if that's what you have to do to keep your sobriety is pay, you know, do your ninth step with the, the tax guy, then do it. Um, and I think that... Uh, what Republicans don't realize is that Democrats aren't as fanatically tribal as they are. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I yeah. mean, Hunter Biden, I'm sorry, if you did illegal things, you're going to have to pay the consequences, period. Right. And then what will they do when he's in jail? They'll have nothing to yell about. It actually, it hurts them if he actually but, gets well, indicted. It's, it's like abortion, you know, yes, abortion. Exactly one of the right. things that was used to be a given with abortion uh, was that Republicans needed it to keep the evangelicals. Right. And that once they got it, if they kept it long enough, evangelicals would start to look at what else they wanted mm -hmm. and like, you know, good wages and, <laughs> and, and uh, <laughs> you know, and social security and Medicare and things like that. And, and they would say, wait a minute, you know, so, and, and we see that in Kansas with the, with the abortion referendum. Right. I mean, who thought that so many women in Kansas were like, definitely wanted to have the legal right to abortion. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, my feeling about abortion and I made a film in, um, 19, was it 90? Yeah, it was 90, 92, I think, or 91. Anyway, the first women's March, 
uh, I had made a film with a feminist majority foundation called Abortion for Survival. And it was made very hastily. It was edited in five days in my living room, but it was basically, you know, the silent scream had just come out, which is full of, you know, it's full of not facts, mm -hmm. but it made a big impression and it turned a lot of people into pro-lifers. And this was supposed to be like the, the answer to it, the factual answer to it. And we talked about all the, I mean, really the thesis for the, for the film, just a half an hour film, was that abortion, legal safe abortion is public health. Yeah. If you don't want to talk about morality or life or whatever, it's a public health necessity because otherwise you have women dying, uh, you have orphan kids, and in every country where abortion is not accessible, where contraception isn't accessible, that's what you have. You have whole wards of women dying from, yeah. because women will take it into their own hands if they're desperate. And desperate means sometimes you have five kids and you can't even feed them and you can't do another one. And you have no control over your own sexuality because you're in a culture that has no birth control and women are, you know, second class citizens. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. You, so you might as well outlaw chemotherapy. You know, yeah. it's the same. It's it's no, fundamentally, it's no different, no matter what these fucking lunatics say. Um, that, that's my position. So uh, what what's that film called that you made? Oh, it's, uh, it's, I don't know if you can even still, get, you might be able to get it from the Feminist Majority Foundation because they're still around. Um, it's called Abortion for Survival. It's very primitive. It was, I think we shot it on three quarter or something. Um, okay. The uh, And then there was a follow-up called um, Abortion Denied. And it was a story of this beautiful blonde Midwestern girl who didn't want to tell her parents because she was right, uh, parental consent laws. And she was, and, and, you know, the reason she didn't tell her parents, she had a great relationship with her parents, but she was like the good girl. Yeah. Yeah. And she did not want them to see her that way. And she got somebody saying, okay, you know, um, you can go here and you'll get a, we can give you an abortion. And she died. And she was, I think, 17 or something. And she was, just, you know, beautiful, all American, the family, all American. And, and the parents were devastated because they're like, she should have come to us. But yeah. You know, I mean, in her head, that would have destroyed her in her parents' eyes, and she didn't want to go there. And uh, so that was the second film. That was a half an hour. But the first film was more general, and it was more. We actually showed an abortion on on camera, and um, and you know, it was. I think it was a six week or something. And you can see it's it's it is a clump of cells. Yeah. <laughs> at six weeks. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and this whole thing about ectopic pregnancies, I mean, those aren't even pregnancies. They're just called pregnancies because they're sort of like a, a, a side effect of, of, um, of pregnancy, but they're, it's a blastocyst that hasn't been able to implant on the uterus. So it's not alive, really. It's just, it's alive in that it's duplicating cells, but they can't survive unless they go into the uterus and get nutrition. Right. Right. And if they go into yeah. your fallopian tube, they're going to suck out blood from that. And then they're going to die and poof, you're going to die. <laughs> you might yeah. bleed out if you don't get help right away. I mean, it's not a pregnancy because it's they're not viable. Once they implant somewhere else, they're not viable. They're not going to get that. I mean, it's like, you know, your brain being starved of oxygen. Those cells are now starved of anything they need to grow. They can't grow. And um, so, you know, people saying that 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 is a you know, something that women have to endure is crazy. Yeah, it's cruel and, and it's saying, ignorant and um, 
you know, it's propaganda. It's bullshit. It's 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 the, the, this bullshit. The abortion equals murder thing is such disgusting, dangerous propaganda. It's it's just it's just horrible. Well, um, oh, one of the things I don't think it made it into the film, but Pat Conkey said that um, that you know, and he was he was a speaker for pro. He's very pro life, but he said, uh, you know, the problem with talking to evangelicals about abortion is that they always say, well, you want to kill babies then, you know, it's like they shut down any discussion yeah. by that. Oh, you're, you're a baby murderer. Oh, you, you approve of killing babies, you know, and, and, you know, it's sort of like, when did you stop beating your wife? Right. <laughs> you know, do you, still, do you still beat your wife? I mean, it's, it's, it's a question you can't really answer. And, yeah. um, and, and it's a great way to shut down actual facts. Yeah. Yeah, it's very effective and and doesn't require much in the way of of intellect to to get the point across that they are trying to make, and requires more on our side to argue for for the scientific and the you know the logical and the reality of the whole damn thing. So, um, right. okay, so your film is called "The Game Is Up: Disillusioned Trump Voters uh, Tell Their Stories." Other stories, yes. It is on it's Amazon. On it's on Amazon and Google Play, and you can see it on both of those commercial free. And on Amazon, if you like it, please leave a review because that really helps. Um, and it's on if you want to watch it free, not rent for four ninety nine or whatever. Uh, it's um, on Tubi and on YouTube on the Indie Rights channel. Indie Rights is my um, is our distributor, and uh, but that's with commercials. That's AVOD, so you're going to see, you know, a fair amount of commercials in, the, in it there. But if you know, you have two ways to watch it. It's made for you liberals, but it's also made for people to show to, especially, I would say it's like design, the audience it's designed for are the Trump voters who, they don't have the signs up anymore. You know, the hats are now in the closet. Right. They don't, they don't advertise it all the time, but they will defend them. Yeah. Those are the people. Those are the people because they know, they know it's, the fact that they take it down the sign shows you that they've they've thought about it. Yes, they thought about it. They thought about how it looks. So I think, you know, if they see other people who felt like them, who actually felt like them and then changed their mind, it's possible that they will think about it. They'll think about it in a different light. And that's really all you can ask. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for making this movie. I think it's great. I think it's a, it's useful. I hope people um, go watch it and use it for the intended purpose and show it to the people that need to see it. Um, Melissa Joe Peltier, thanks so much for taking the time with me today. Thank Great you, to see Greg. You. Thanks for talking to me. Good to see you too. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fawcett. Zarina Zabriskie, Marie Kost, and Martha Akuna provided the introduction in Ukrainian, French, and Spanish, respectively. Voice talent is by Stephanie St. John, Tally Briggs, Michelle Cantor, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hockey, Kenai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail Substack with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the column and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. And until next time, we shall prevail. Stop.